essentially what men should be asking the first time they encounter or they see a menstruator or they they speak to a menstruator is they should ask what can I do to help mm-hmm. because that then establishes a more period positive world and men shouldn't weaponize our periods as a way to make us feel inferior yes I mean I've been in so many situations where men have attacked me or downplayed my feelings or invalidated my feelings because I'm on I'm PMSing or whatever yeah and I always just hit them back with that statement to say anything you can do I can do bleeding and that just shakes them up a little because they're like oh Hmm. well damn (laughs) right so there is power in us as menstruators also having to take that initiative and saying whatever period stigma or nonsense you're coming with me I'm going to let you know that the work that you're doing now or the things that you're doing now I can do it bleeding yes and probably 10 times better Hey, welcome to your favorite podcast of all time, Sakina Speaks. My name is Sakina Ishavani, and I'm your host, doing the absolute most on this platform where we come yet again to have the conversations that matter. And today's topic is aptly titled Menstruation Matters, right? Because pun intended, indeed, we're speaking about matters that circulate around menstruation and the perception that goes around menstruation, which is the major, major reason why we need to have this conversation today. And of course, because menstruation matters. Somebody you know is probably on their period right now. And of course, you came to the world through that very same process. So it's quite important that we need to clear up all the misconceptions, all the evil that surrounds this really beautiful process. Menstruation, right? The natural vaginal bleeding that occurs on a monthly basis that has been shunned, stigmatized, and tabooed throughout society through the propagation of various cultural and religious misconceptions, biological myths, and social vices that have tainted the pure process that precedes the birth of each and every single human being, even and more especially that of those that hate this dirty little secret so much. According to the Global Citizen Statistics, about 800 million people are menstruating every single day. That is about 26% of the global population that menstruates in general. Now, championing the fight against the stigmatization of menstruation on the global platforms such as TED Talks and many others, today I have the Honorable Minister of Menstruation, Candice Chira, activist, a speaker, and an academic who wrote her master's dissertation on this very topic, the details of which we will get into a little later on this episode. She's also an author, and she wrote The Perils of Patriarchy and Flow, the book about menstruation. She's also the founder of Curate, an NGO focused on curating critical thinking in young people on social issues through workshops and content just like this, amongst many other beautiful and celebrated things which I could not fit into this brief intro. Thank you so very much for affording me the privilege of speaking to you today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. Getting right into it, we're going to start from the beginning of it all, right? Please tell us about your very first menstrual experience. What was going through your mind, you know, when you discovered this very strange crimson stream flowing down your thighs? 
you know, and it's it's interesting that that feeling was something that I felt again when, you know, the first lockdown was announced in South Africa, like the first night and you just felt alone, you felt mm-hmm. isolated, you weren't, you weren't sure about what's going to happen in the future. And that was literally how I felt when I started my period. Um, I was at the age of 10. So that was like grade five. Mm-hmm. And I just remember coming home to just really intense stomach cramps. And so I was told, you know, drink a lot of water. you'll be fine and then when I got home I had this need to like pee and then when I went to the bathroom lo and behold when I wipe I just see period blood Mm. and at that point I didn't even know that it was period blood I just saw blood and now I'm checking all over my thighs and thinking did I cut myself what's going on because you know being such a playful kid I always used to like fall down scrape my knee see the blood where the blood comes from but now this blood was just a whole different thing yeah Um, so I was panicking I was afraid and the more I wiped the more blood there was I just felt like I was going to die Mm -hmm. and I just remember like how I waited for my mom so I took a lot of toilet paper put it on my underwear and then I went into my room waited for my mom to come and then when she came through I was just like I'm bleeding and I think just from the look on my face she knew what was going on and the conversation we had it literally felt like I broke a vase or I broke something in the house and I was in trouble and I know that wasn't her intention but this is the thing with the period to be right that Mm -hmm. because it's it's passed down from generation to generation there's this form of conditioning that happens where we tell menstruators that they should keep it to themselves they shouldn't tell anyone and sometimes people go so far to say you know it's your dirty you're impure but luckily I just got the this is a pad this is how you should keep it to yourself make sure your dad doesn't know make sure your sister doesn't know that's how crazy it was for me so I've literally felt like I was dying I felt like I had a disease I felt it it just it was scary it was a very scary time yeah Mm. I can definitely relate to that. I remember the first time I had my period as well. I had had like a, a pre-period talk, which was, it, it wasn't even like a serious proper introduction to it. It was just like, you know, okay, so mm. it, it wasn't even from my mom because my mom is also very, very conservative. So I think touching on topics like that, it's sort of something that comes with being exposed to a more liberal society, which we yeah. live in right now, like being Congolese and South African mm. uh, in a South African context, right? So it's stuff that at some point, okay, you have to just give it and you have to speak about but I got the talk from my very you know fun and I don't know lively I could say grand aunt and she basically you know explained to Mm, me what like mm. a pad is and yeah you're gonna need this and how we even like created a language around it and she was basically like okay so before it comes it's partly cloudy Mm. and then when it gets there it's raining and stuff like that so whenever you know like if you if you ever You know, like that's literally how it's it, it came about. Mm. And she was like, you know, if if this happens, it was not even a direct conversation. It was not this is what's gonna happen to you. This is you know, it was literally like, okay, if anything ever happens to you, like within that area, then you know you must use this or you must use that. And before this, you use um what panty liners and after this, and that's mm. that's kind of the way you're introduced to it, and you get that shock from school when you know the the level of exposure at school is like on like 10 and at home it's like 0.5 and you can't really reconcile those things but yeah I totally relate to that oh my gosh I was dying (laughs) moment I like I feel like I changed my pad like three times that day and I only had like a few droplets like it really wasn't that bad in my case but yeah it was just fear Mm. And I can I can relate. I think what is interesting about what you mentioned is that fear, and that is it's a universal experience. It's something that 
and and I guess that's partly why I do the work that I do to eradicate that fear because mm-hmm. I can't go about life knowing that people feel like they're going to die when I have this vast vast I wouldn't say it vast but I have knowledge and so if yeah. I know that it's normal then let me at least take the work out to make sure it's normal so mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 interesting how different backgrounds different stories but we still have that universal common feeling of fear exactly. with the natural biological function and that shouldn't be the case in society where did you then go after having that very awkward conversation with your mom like further to discover exactly what was happening to you and understand you know you know, that is such an interesting question because when I think about it, um, I had such an awkward relationship with my body because at the same time, I'm going through puberty. Mm. And so I'm developing these huge nunga nungas in my body. <laughs> I'm the only girl in that time who's wearing a bra. So I can't really talk to my friends about it because we're just like, what is a bra? What is it? So I'm not mm-hmm. even going to talk to them about the fact that I'm bleeding once a month, you know? So it was a very scary time. And I think the only time I sort of understood from like a biological point of view, what was going on was in biology in like grade eight or nine. Yeah. Um, and that was just like in a textbook that mentioned, this is what menstruation is. This is what you go through every month or this, not even you. It's just very objective. Mm. Like every month, a woman will menstruate and her, that that's so cold. So like there's no form of acknowledgement validation. And so mm-hmm. I therefore understood what menstruation is from a biological point of view, but I still had a lot of questions about, you know, period products, um, different ways to manage my cramps. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things were not an- addressed until, until I was literally, I literally started being a menstrual activist, which was at the age of 21. Wow. So that was about what, 11 years of just navigating my period with a sanitary pad, not really understanding from an empowered point of view that I menstruate because I'm not pregnant. And it was just, it was an awkward time. Mm-hmm. And so when I came across this knowledge, when I came across menstrual activism and, and unpacking period poverty, then I was like, wow, this, my period is much better bigger than just me bleeding and my ovary and endometrial lining sh- uh, shedding itself there are yeah. social elements to it there are cultural elements to it and i've i've experienced these elements but i'm not speaking about them and i can imagine that other people are not speaking about them too so why are we not speaking about it this just sort of triggered my ted talk you know to say that the implications that the silence around our periods has has major you know, consequences for human rights, exactly. you know, access to education, access to health, access to dignity, to sanitation. So by us not talking openly about our periods, by being conditioned to be remain silent, mm-hmm. it has implications. And these implications usually lead to human rights violations. So yeah, I, I think that I just get so passionate about it because it's such an interesting cycle and such an interesting pattern. And I guess that's like my, my thing, like as academics, I always used to look at academics and be like, why do you guys get so passionate about it and then I found my expertise yeah. I'm like yeah I get it now I'm so passionate about menstruation you know mm-hmm. I I don't like my period <laughs> I will not I will be I'll be honest on this podcast yes. my period symptoms are bullying yes. but I understand what needs to happen and mm-hmm. I embrace it you know so that's basically the work that I, I tried to do and in telling people to embrace it as well and being period positive that you can complain about your period but from a point of you have that power and not people telling you you know or subjecting you to be brainwashed to feel that your period is is not normal Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and 
thinking of that moment, that time, that very long moment that you had, 11 whole years of just navigating through this silently on your own, trying to discover these things. And then finally, you know, that spark being ignited and birthing what a beautiful journey this is to basically liberating other women, you know, that are also being conditioned to silence about mm-hmm. this experience. I'm just just thinking about how many women go without information about managing their periods, you know, about managing their cramps, which is another thing, like periods on its own Mm. is just one aspect of it, but like the cramps that come with it. And, you know, there are also other misconceptions like, no, you shouldn't take pills for, it's just a lot. And it can get you very like worked up, very emotional. And I, and that's why I get why when you finally found this thing, Mm. it was like, okay, now I get where all of this hype is, you know, when academics write about this stuff, because it really is, important that there's documented information about this and so what kind of resources that you provide right now to people um did you wish you had in that time i look at this book and i'm like flow the book about menstruation if Mm -hmm. i had this book when i just like if my mom just handed me the book when i first started i would have a different relationship with my body and in a very positive way i think i I think when my period happened when i was when i was young i hated myself i hated i just hated myself from a point of view that it was just so it wasn't understandable but you know looking back on it i'm like you know what i understand why because i had no form of educational resource Mm -hmm. i i felt ashamed i felt scared to ask family members or friends about like anything related to periods and let's not even talk about like the internet trying to google anything sexual reproductive health related it's either you have cancer or you're dying so like you know I was just too scared to even go into like period cramps and why my period cramps too sore I was just so scared and so if I had flow the book about menstruation or a person like the minister of menstruation in my day Mm -hmm. I genuinely feel like my relationship with my body would have been so different I would have felt more empowered I would have felt more relieved that I don't feel like I'm dying yeah Um, Um, every month and I just understand what's happening so yeah I think for me that's so important as to why I created well well, not created but wrote flow and contributed to flow simply because it's easier for parents it's easier for teachers it's easier for guardians it's easier for teenagers it's easier for people who don't you know identify as women and girls who are considered to be menstruators Mm -hmm. to read this book and just feel validated and relate and understand and be empowered informed and, and just it's just it's a guide it's that A to Z guide on Mm -hmm. on periods and that's what I felt like I needed and so taking that opportunity to write this book and making sure that other young menstruators don't feel like they're going to die like I did is it's 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 a it's a life-affirming moment you know Mm -hmm. I love that like Mm -hmm. unfortunately the listeners can't see your facial expression as you as you're saying these things but I have the privilege right of that front row view (laughs) of like seeing the passion yeah firsthand and and it's just it's so inspiring like it inspires me to continue having conversations like these because you know I'm also aiding and and adding to that movement and it's it's a very liberating thing but no like I really really do appreciate you I appreciate you coming onto this podcast and I appreciate Mm. you helping me also confront you know some of my fears because I really did feel like and many a times still do feel like I make people very uncomfortable directly or indirectly Mm. when I do have my periods it's not something that you can articulate and I'm 21 right now but I still feel Mm. like I constantly have to be conscious even when I'm not putting in that conscious effort I am on high alert of whether I'm staining or whether there's like 
a smell coming like it's literally just something that makes mm. you very very uncomfortable and it's it's unfair to have this burden on yourself when this is just like you said it's a process just to tell you that yo there's there's nothing in the oven okay you were still going strong you know so it's sad mm. because i feel like this and i am a lot more privileged than many of the people like the menstruators in india for example you know some of them in venezuela where you mm. know you banish to a whole shed because you are unclean you're unpure you can't touch anything you can't cook you can't be around people you know so it's it's really really sad when you have these conversations like this and you realize oh snap like i am technically in a privileged position and i still feel like i'm carrying the world on my shoulders because i happen to be bleeding you know now what about the people that don't mm. even have this information that don't have this choice that don't have this platform Mm. You know, the, the assumption is that period poverty affects those who don't have the money or come from low to middle income communities, which is mm-hmm. partially true. But I've been in workshops where even the most affluent of menstruators still don't know what a menstrual cup is, mm-hmm. still don't understand why they can't swim in the ocean on their mm-hmm. period. You know, period stigma, period taboo does not discriminate. It has no race, no creed, no, no, no social class. It exists throughout, even within religion, you know? And I think what's so interesting for me is that I've been grateful or, or, or rather privileged in the work that I do, that I can speak to different scenarios from different backgrounds, from different religions, and, and just overall conclude that we're not openly speaking about menstruation enough because mm-hmm. all of this information, like you rightly said, comes from a place of misinformation. It's yeah. basically fake news. All these period taboos we have is fake news. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine like seeing the 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 the, the fake of a young girl who has you know what a tampon will not break your virginity <laughs> and then they look and they see the actual visual aid of where the hymen sits and then they see how a tampon sits they feel how a tampon is and then they realize that you know what a hymen is a stretchy elastic i call it a scrunchie essentially mm-hmm. and it grows and it stretches out to make way for menstrual blood so by the time you start bleeding your hymen is actually made way for your um, menstrual blood to pass through yeah some people are even not even born without hymens why are we not having got in a conversations about that so there's just this you know there's this thing at play and i like to call it i think everyone knows what it is the, the, the patriarchy you know that thing the annoying thing called the patriarchy <laughs> that loves to restrict you know not only women girls but menstruators behaviors about how we should be when we're menstruating so we need mm-hmm. to isolate ourselves and you, you like you said like in certain societies in india and uh, nepal they have a practice called shaupaudi which means you go and you go in a hut yes. and you you isolate yourself for the duration of your period and they've been menstruators who have died they've been menstruators who have experienced sexual assault or sexual violence mm-hmm. because of this taboo that you should isolate yourself and it comes from a place of misinformation because when you hear when you hear as to where these taboos come from you can factually and medically prove it to be wrong yeah so that's why the work of menstrual activism is so important i openly have to say you're menstrual activist but when you do come across any form of information on instagram or twitter or facebook share that information because you don't understand the impact and power of sharing that information has in eliminating the period mm-hmm. stigma and eliminating the period taboo. So, yeah. And so it always makes me happy to like always just put on my menstrual cap every day and say, yes, I'm here to fight and end the period stigma. Mm-hmm. But it's also an overall fight, a greater fight in eradicating gender inequality because periods do hold a lot of menstruators back from social and economic activities from Absolutely. their male counterparts. So, 
let's let's go about trying to dismantle that by ensuring that we have access to our period products that we are in spaces where it's period positive and period safe that is just dismantling the patriarchy in a greater sense and that Mm. makes me happy (laughs) (laughs) i do agree funny enough though i actually came across this one video where this gentleman was explaining that you know like he took the dictionary definition of patriarchy which is basically just a system which is headed by Mm. males and he was like okay no but we have to separate the Mm. connotation that comes with the patriarchy from the patriarchy because literally like a matriarch Mm. that is a female head of the home for example and then the patriarchy Mm. would obviously be the male so when when he said that i was like oh snap that actually makes sense but unfortunately it's been tainted by such an abuse of power by these male heads that Mm. unfortunately the whole system just seems like we need to just remove this entire thing and restart because clearly it's not working for any of us including the very same males that are heading it Mm, that is very true and then that calls for a greater social responsibility on men to be involved in eradicating the period stigma it's mm. not only just about you know the work of women and girls and you know uh, menstruators within the lgbtqia community that menstruate it is also the role and responsibility of men because men usually are responsible for that generational past and informa- misinformation mm-hmm. of periods and so men have a responsibility even if it's in intimate partner relationships you have a responsibility in knowing what period product your partner uses in knowing what form of treatment and care your partner needs and the same goes for your daughters you need to be openly aware and you know sensitive to that time where if they're going through puberty they start menstruating you know how to navigate being a cool dad Mm -hmm. but also also being a, a dad in the sense that you can show up for your daughter when they start menstruating. Yeah. So it's really just, I think it's just even in the word itself, menstruation. <laughs> yep. so put men back in menstruation mm-hmm. and they should speak openly about it. Like, uh, period. Yes. <laughs> Alrighty. No, definitely. Hey. I want to know what exactly was the culminating moment, that moment where you were like, this needs to be a thing. This is my life's purpose. And I need to make this my daily occupation. Was there one particular moment where you're like, okay, from here I'm starting? Or was it like a journey that, you know, was incremental? Yeah, I th- it was a journey. I mean, at, whilst I was doing my master's within the specific field of research, I was also like thinking, you know, I don't know if I see this becoming a full-time career. And mm. as much as I'm very passionate about it, I'm looking at the jobs and I'm not seeing anything menstrual related. Um, at the time, it was like, what, 2018, 2019. So we were still having conversations about period poverty, especially in South Africa, but it wasn't as large as it is now. Yeah. And so I think it was partly like, you know, trying to weigh the options and saying, do I just, you know, work a corporate job and just continue about day-to-day life or do I actually make the conscious choice in changing and taking the risk in changing the world for the better yeah and I think it was partly the environment that I was in and the people that I surrounded myself with that prompted me to take that risk I mean being in the world of academia you are surrounded by amazing intelligent people Mm -hmm. where information is only kept within that space and there's no form of willingness to take that information and create it into social initiatives that will actually bring about change and that's why curate came about because i was often in conferences i was often having deep conversations and then we just you know go about our assignments or journal 
articles or lectures. And I'm like, but we have this information. We are at the forefront of knowledge and innovation when it comes to changing the world for the better, especially mm-hmm. in the field of so- uh, social sciences. Why are we not doing anything to change that? In particular, yeah. for young people who don't necessarily have the access and privilege like we do to the information. And so Curate was formed based on creating it to be that hub of information for content on social issues, in particular, like taboo issues. Yes. And then having those workshops as a way to have that face-to-face interaction in allowing people to understand how this social issue affects them directly versus then having someone come in and then mansplain or, you know, academic explain mm-hmm. yeah. a topic for like an hour and there's no form of interaction or engagement. So I think it was when I started my first workshop that I felt, okay, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to take the risk. And we did our first workshop. We put it out there. And surprisingly enough, other people started jumping on board to say, please come and do this workshop for our church. Please come and do this workshop for our school, please. Mm -hmm. And I think that train just started. And that for me showed that there was a momentum in wanting people to understand and learn about periods, but they were just too shy. And they also didn't know who to go to. Yeah. And so Curate became that place where if you want to know about periods but you want to know about periods in a very fun way we can host them for you and as the 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 momentum was building up I remember in particular I was coming back from a workshop and a friend of mine called me and he was like you know what you are doing so much work so around menstruation I think you should literally call yourself the minister of menstruation (laughs) and I was just like you know we're laughing and joking about it and I changed my twitter handle I changed my instagram handle and and ever since then, people are just like, but it makes sense. Because, yeah. you know, when they think of me, they think of menstruation. They think of someone who's, if she's not tweeting about it, if she's not sharing information about it, then she's on the ground doing workshops around it. Mm. And so I think what I never underestimate is the timing of the universe, just aligning yourselves deeper to a purpose. And I think, you know, one should never, ever invalidate the frustration or the feelings they feel when it comes to a specific passion or specific topic that gets them upset and they feel like nothing's being enough is being done and I always just say this as individuals we all have a social responsibility in changing our communities for the better even if it is making sandwiches every Sunday or teaching young people on mathematics Mm -hmm. we still have that collective social responsibility in changing the world because we only have each other at the end of the day you know and 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 I think that all have kindness um and even if it's choose that and I think I've always had that drive and passion within me where I've always seen myself helping people even from a a young age it just made me feel happy it made me feel at ease Mm -hmm. and thankfully the universe just aligned my purpose to say well you're going to make people feel at ease about periods so (laughs) here we are (laughs) I love it now looking at your background looking at my background even right as women that come from very conservative backgrounds yourself being Malawian and myself being Congolese how did you start this conversation and how do you drive this conversation within your very own family number one to say okay I'm going to be speaking about periods for a living how did that even start just being able to like tell your mom okay mom this is this is me you know I'm not even going to just leave it there I'm going to do a whole master's dissertation on this to show you how serious I am about this and and I'm going to make this my life's career and how do you then continue that conversation because I personally am still very like when I when I dispose of my pet it's still very CIA FBI agent like you know nobody must see nobody must that type of thing so how do you (laughs) how do you then you know achieve that within your own space yeah you know 
I don't even, I think it's only now. And not to say that for the past three, four years that they haven't been supportive of my work, but I think now they can openly just talk about it and be like, oh, okay, you know, we watch her interviews, we watch her stuff. I mean, my mom came to my TED talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think I, I, I am very lucky that I come from a very supportive home where if logic and reason applies and they can see that you have passion, then they will support you. And, and I think I'm very grateful for that because I can imagine if my parents are like, no, you're not doing that. Just rather work for a company or something. I would have been a totally different person. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, I'm in a position where I have supportive parents and also parents who understand the political nature of the environment we live in. And Mm -hmm. the reality is also in Malawi period, poverty is a very real thing. And in certain conversations that I have with my parents, you know, they're always just saying you should go back home and you need to do these workshops. Or maybe we need to think of like creating a book that is in Chichewa or something. And it's just, they understand, they understand because they, they come from that background where they, where poverty was real for them. And they worked very hard to get their kids to where they are now. And so having a daughter who's wanting to give back to ending poverty is something that they will always support. And I'm grateful for that. So Mm. I think it's also just a matter of when it comes to our parents, obviously, we have to be respectful in the conversations we have with them. So I'm obviously not going to scream to my dad vagina. Yeah, like, no, what? No, no. <laughs> but I will, you know, I will have those practical conversations with him to say, you know, like, why do you think periods are viewed negatively in society or mm-hmm. showing him different period products or, you know, like having those conversations in respectful tones and manners is very important. I do, however, still, and I think this is a little bit of my conditioning. I do, however, still, you know, well, I used to now because I've moved from more reusable products with my sanitary pad. I'd always still do the whole FBI thing, yep. you know, even when I I sleep I sleep with a period blanket on because I know that if I stay in the sheets my mom gets very upset and she's mm-hmm. like you need to clean them but it's never from like a violent approach and I've taken it now and I've transformed it in a way that you know if I feel uncomfortable if I feel like I have pain I can openly tell my mom in particular mm-hmm. um, and she just she she nurtures me and she respects me and I think that is it's so powerful but also like she will still have a moment if I stay in her sheets because I mean <laughs> I'm still living in her house and so she'll be like hey you're gonna clean this like exactly. I understand you have a heavy flow and everything but you're gonna clean these sheets so mm-hmm. I can respect that right so yeah I think my my relationship with my my parents have definitely transformed over the years and they've been very supportive of the work that I do and, I, and I'm always going to be grateful for that I can so relate to the relationship you have with your parents in this regard because even with my mm-hmm. dad so he basically specializes in public health and and one of his uh specializations or master's um specializations is in HIV and AIDS and particularly when it comes to mm. sexual reproductive health care services so when you said mm. that i was just like i just had this like bright spark in my eye because i was like yes you know we get each other on that level so just like you said mm. the, you know with very very respectful undertones we can have certain conversations like okay you know tell me about just you know for the sake of this um you know like sexually transmitted diseases or like speak about these things like very roughly but mm. like obviously i can't just be there like okay so yo dad this is what happens every month and just go into it yeah um, but yeah. just like you said they getting into it little by little step by step and and that in itself is already transforming a generation because now we are at liberty Mm. to speak a lot more freely and about a lot more things with our very own children and with with other people so the work is already being done and the the results are already being seen even in our lifetimes yeah that is true very powerful very very powerful i agree (laughs) 
Now, speaking about our father's rights, how do we bring men mm-hmm. into the conversation? I have just recently been a lot more comfortable with like friends because, you know, there are a lot of these jokes and, and stuff about menstruation. We know yeah. that the infamous PMS joke, which has really been, you know, rubbing me extremely wrongly <laughs> ever since I became a lot more aware of how serious the implications of such jokes are. And we're going to touch on that as well, you know, even with just mm. calling menstruation periods and, and stuff like Auntie Flo and, and, and the likes. How do we bring men into the conversation in a way that doesn't give them this air of like saviorism? Because there's some people that they don't necessarily get what you're going through. And of course, they're not going to get what you're going mm. through, you know, on a, on a very literal basis. But I think being aware and understanding and not just like sympathetic on a very superficial level is what I am looking for men to be, you know. So how do we bring mm. them into this conversation in a way that makes them like a shareholder, like a part of this and not just like someone that's looking out on this you know you know it it ranges and i think you know what we should get rid of the assumption is that men don't want to know about periods there are men who are genuinely curious to understand what periods are friends brothers who are genuinely always curious and interested to know like what happens every month they can see physically how it impacts the emotional aspects of our periods so i think with men what is important is yes definitely remove that savior complex mm-hmm. um but i will say that it is very very attractive when a guy knows about periods i will lie i'm just putting <laughs> out there when a guy is just like yeah so i heard about a tampon and the heavy flow medium flow yeah i know about endometriosis it's like you took out the time yes. to learn about these things you actually mm-hmm. about something that doesn't impact you directly but you're like i'm gonna make it impact me directly because i should know about it yes um but besides that i think what is important is that the work and responsibility shouldn't be on us as menstruators mm-hmm. i genuinely feel like we can make the information widely available we can say read this book that book watch this video go there the minister of menstruation can make a whole thread and has made a lot of threads for men about how they can be um, menstrual allies but there's only so much pulling you can do of a they say you can pull the animal to the water but you can't let them drink you know something like that Mm -hmm. and i think What's important there is that there needs to be a willingness and initiative from the men to learn. So obviously my work as a menstrual activist is not to be dismissive of men in this, in this regard, but just to say that men, you genuinely should be wanting to learn about periods, even though it might not impact you, you have yes. a responsibility to know about them. And you can start off by asking menstruators in your life, so your sisters, your girlfriends, you know, I have heard about this period thing, but how does it impact you? And what would you like from me that I can help to make your period a little bit easier month to month essentially what men should be asking the first time they encounter or they see a menstruator or they they speak to menstruators they should ask what can i do to help mm-hmm. because that then establishes a more period positive world and men shouldn't weaponize our periods as a way to make us feel inferior yes i mean i've been in so many situations where men have attacked me or downplayed my feelings or invalidated my feelings because i'm on i'm pmsing or whatever yeah and I always just hit them back with that statement to say, anything you can do, I can do bleeding. And wow. that just shakes them up a little because they're like, oh, hmm. well, damn. Yeah. <laughs> right? So there is power in us as menstruators also having to take that initiative and saying, whatever period stigma or nonsense you're coming with me, I'm going to let you know that the work that you're doing now 
or the things that you're doing now, I can do it bleeding. Yes. And probably 10 times better. If you're going to come to me, come to me correctly, essentially, is what I'm saying. But um, no, I think it's important that men, it's important that men uh, do get involved in menstruation, even if it's volunteering, even if it's donating pads, even if it's buying the book flow, the book about menstruation, hashtag support, support local authors. Do that and read yes. about it, learn about it, you know, and just advocate for a more period positive world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's literally like music to my ears. Mm. Like it just, just do that. Just ask how you can help. Don't be like, no, she's PMSing. Don't, don't mm. like now start telling me how I am and how I'm feeling. Cause it's only going to aggravate the situation mm. and just take us backwards, you know, in, in, in this journey to, to making all of us just seem normal. Like we, we really are exactly. normal. It's just a normal biological process. You know, when a baby happens, I don't understand why you don't shun us and put us in a, in a shed as well. You know what I mean? It's just literally the one of the, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it it just brings me back to this uh, one podcast episode I was listening to. And I just realized that so many social concepts and constructs that we have, we have not defined for ourselves. And so we find ourselves now mm. unpacking so much that it almost seems like we lost. There's just so much that we have had, you know, imposed on us. And I'm not going to go into mm. detail as to who or whatever, you know, that's that's up to you. But there's just so much that we're unpacking, you know, gender, menstruation. There's just so much that I feel like we are learning to understand and we are trying to understand them all during the same time. And so it, it seems chaotic, mm. but I, I, I believe it's really the same way, you know, the world is destroyed, a world is born. And so, mm. yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful time to be alive. I agree. And I think, I think just establishing that peer positive world always makes me happy when we finish our workshops and young people feel so empowered they know about the process of periods they know about period products but they also can just openly say the word vagina yeah so important (laughs) you know um own own that body part that is theirs and 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 for me it just gives me that hope that i'm establishing that period positive legacy so that the next set of menstruators don't feel like they're going to die the first Mm -hmm. time they encounter period blood that is so crucial for me in the work that I do so it is better times that we're living in and Mm -hmm. I think also from a policy perspective countries are moving in a little bit more progressive way we we still have a long way to go though um we still need to see period paid um leave in our in our lifetime we still need to see more greater health care for women girls and menstruators when it comes to sexual reproductive health and you know we still need to be having more conversations about you know sanitation um you know the education that young girls on in particular in 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 schools are learning when, when it comes to puberty when it comes to periods yes um there's just so much that still needs to be done. Um, in particular in South Africa, where we know we have a large sanitation crisis, young young people are dying in toilets. Um, people don't have access to water. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. But I'm hopeful for the fact that we're moving in the right direction because everyone can openly talk about periods and there's no form of stigma attached to it, which is positive for me. And that's definitely beautiful. And it's just like I, um, I usually do say on the podcast, that's the reason why I have Sakina Speaks is so that we can start and create change from a conversation. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're speaking about this now means we've taken a very big leap forward, you know, from the centuries um, that have passed where we've been silenced and conditioned to silence. So we just need to keep the conversation going because it's through that, that, you know, actions will be born, your know, thought processes and things that will kick mm-hmm. things into motion and that will, you know, then foster a better society.
society for us all. That now brings me to, since we're speaking about, you know, how we speak about this, because now we just, we, we're just speaking about this, you know, we're taking baby steps here. We, we're probably crawling. We haven't even started walking when it comes to the discourse of menstruation. Let's address the, the language that we use to speak about menstruation, mm. right? Now we were, now we're getting, we, you know, we're starting to like hold onto tables, you know, um, and, and try to get onto our feet. And with that, it will be very important to then take into account how we speak about this. And that will bring me to the infamous titles, right? Period is fairly neutral for now. Um, mm. But then you have, fairly, you know, yeah. Auntie flow, the red tide, mm. crimson tide, you know, you have all of those very, I mean, we laugh about them. Like the example that I gave at the very beginning, you know, it's raining now, it's partly cloudy, sunny, yeah. you know, things like that. Like what are some of the adverse and they, they're very subtle, but like unnoticed effects and negative effects in particular of using such euphemisms for, for menstruation? Mm. I mean, often the first response you get when, and you say any of those things aren't flow, code red, uh, shark week, yep. strawberry jam, fourth street wine, like all these long, you know, Russia has invaded. There's just wow. there's so many. Is that people tend to laugh. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it removes the form of seriousness that are our periods. Mm-hmm. Um, using those euphemisms will conflate with the fact that, oh, well, if she's just calling it on flow, then it isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, menstruator has has like intense period cramps experiences really bad period uh brain in terms of like you know fluctuation of hormones which affects your fatigue etc mm-hmm. like you're going through a lot but yes you're out here calling it like russia has invaded and therefore non-menstruators usually will then just laugh at it and not take it seriously and then when you do have that moment where you want to complain or voice your concerns about your period cramps then they'll be like but didn't you just call it on flow it's exactly. not serious right mm-hmm. so it, it, it removes the seriousness around it and and I think there's also a greater responsibility that corporates have in the representation of our of our periods in these adverts. I don't know how many times I've seen like a menstruator wearing the tightest of jeans, mm. getting out of bed, and then like living who, their best life on their period. It? No, it's like who and then they mix it up. They have blue blood, and it's like, oh, okay blue mm. blood sure you know and what that does for non-menstruators is that then they'll be like oh well her period's nothing then her period is a great jolly time her wearing skinny jeans chilling with her mates mm. meanwhile candace is in her bed with her period blankets hot water bottle on stomach <laughs> chocolate yes. on the other side like it's just it's a lot so the euphemisms takes away from the seriousness of our periods and that's why it's just always important to call it what it is a period menstruation you know there's so much power in saying that i mean oftentimes you know people will i will jokingly say aunt Flo is here to visit mm-hmm. but that's because i am aware you know i'm coming from a point of i'm socially aware that my euphemisms will so oftentimes remove the seriousness but if i'm feeling like i want to be playful on my twitter then i can mm. but there's so many people who just feel the need to say oh tom has arrived which stands for time of the month wow. and that's what they'll always say for the rest of their life because they should never say the word period mm. no call it what it is it's a period mm-hmm. you're not going to be struck by lightning if you say it so just call it what it is a period even at work because i have some very conservative colleagues and then i have like colleagues that are just like it is what it is you know so yeah like yeah. when you say to to my very conservative colleagues like they're taken aback and like you automatically like this very delicate flower that could like literally be destroyed at the slightest touch and and it's beautiful 
but at the same time let's let's just you mm. know I'm, I'm not terminally ill all of a sudden but yeah it's i mean it's great at mm. least that effort and that awareness is there but again we are we're still taking baby steps and we're growing so that's great now in closing you have said something mm. uh really really important you've mentioned yeah. you know the government's efforts and and their role basically you touched on that a little bit and even corporate's role right so i'm just gonna mm. give a little bit of a summary of what your master's dissertation was about what i could take from it and it's titled mm. menstrual health matters states obligations under international human rights conventions so you beautifully outline how the state has an obligation to not only recognize but provide for adequate menstruation uh, menstrual health management under international law as mm. a fundamental human right which is an angle just on its own which many of us have not looked at it from because it really then dawned on me that i view that part of my being or my biological makeup as sort of like an extension i never really saw it as this is a mm. part of me and this is okay because it's always like viewed as like a foreigner as like an alien as a as a bad thing and so thinking of myself as whole with this process was never really a thing as i said you beautifully outlined that as a fundamental human right which all menstruators are entitled to something which you prove that governments are failing to do at the moment and furthermore you mm. argue that infringements upon these rights and dignities have grave adverse socioeconomic consequences and it's kind of sad that it's only when we bring that aspect into it that people get serious that corporates are like oh snap okay we're going to lose money if we don't actually take care of these women because you know they bring in that sort of profit that they start to take it seriously but i mean we have to bring it in somewhere and if we have to resort to such extreme you know with inverted commas extreme measures then so be it but mm. yes it does have grave adverse socioeconomic consequences that could be averted if only the needs and the rights of these menstruators that make up a vast majority of the global population are met so considering your paper mm. you know and your view on the issue what duties do you believe that not only the south african state but you know the states all over the world as you've been saying that you know they are progressing and they are moving what responsibility and obligation do you think that they have to redress the difficulties of menstruators around the globe i think that was a very interesting part of my research and understanding like well taking what international conventions and international treaties and human rights law has to say regarding sexual and reproductive health and where does menstruation fit within that landscape mm -hmm. and menstruation fits within education in particular the rights to you know the human rights education the human rights to uh, safe and adequate workplace conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I think what is really important is that states often, often forget the obligations they have in just fulfilling those human rights uh, responsibilities from an, just an, an adequate point of view. Yeah. You know? And I think when we look at it from a sexual and reproductive health point of view, one could argue that states are implementing it on paper, but not really implementing it on the ground. Mm -hmm. And with menstruation, there's no implementation, implementation happening because we're simply not talking enough about it. So policymakers are not even going to bring that to the forefront when they're having the conversations with states or state leaders because we're not talking openly about it. Yeah. And that's why for me, writing that, that thesis was just saying the overall conclusion to sort of ensuring that menstru menstrual health is seen as a human rights issue is that we talk openly about it so that the person who is a policy member can be able to hear the concerns of menstrual activists, hear the concerns of school learners 
who go to schools and there's only pit latrines. He had the concerns of workers who are in a factory and part of their policy is that the more toilet visits they have, the more pay is deducted from their salary. Like things like that, you know, being more open-minded and being more holistic because the reality is that period poverty is not going to be over if we just provide free period products. Yeah. We still have the issue of infrastructure. We still have the issue of workplace policies. We still have the issue of education. And that's what is, that is what's needed in this conversation. So for me, I think that's what my thesis is about. Just really saying something that we have neglected in society, which is such a natural and fundamental thing to human life, is being neglected. And we don't then understand the implications it has from a human rights point of view. And there's a lot of implications it has. And therefore, states need to be more open and understand that with any solution, really, you have to be holistic and you have to be sustainable. And that's essentially what my paper calls for, just mm-hmm. more sustainable and holistic solutions in ending period poverty and just speaking openly about it. Thank you so very much for joining me on today's episode, Candice. It has been an eye-opener for myself. It has been a moment of liberation because it really does have to start with us as well, you know, as menstruators to say we are not going to allow ourselves to be conditioned to silence any longer. And we need Mm. to be free and comfortable within our very own bodies and understand that we are not going to die because we experience this, this process on a monthly basis. And just like you said, periods are not fun. Being spoiled during your periods can be fun, but you can't even like fully experience the fun because you're on your period. But Mm. basically we need to be a lot more accepting and this translates to many other things like self-esteem just loving yourself loving your body and so it's very very important that we understand and that we appreciate this biological process that very much so makes up a great part of who we are as menstruators as women as girls at large um and so it's it's just really really important to give the kudos to people like you who are saying i'm going to be in the forefront and i'm going to take whatever that people are going to throw at me in order to make this something that is commonplace, something that is normal because it is normal. I I really do appreciate you for doing this. I appreciate you for coming onto this podcast, you know, which is my small attempt to also liberating people, to having people have their say, speak out on issues like this and just be themselves and make sure that they know that their voices are accounted for and their opinions do matter. And so on that note, thank you to each and every single person that listens to this podcast on a daily basis that is really just loving the people that come on here because just like you've seen I really do have the privilege of speaking to some really really phenomenal people just like Candace I really did not think she was going to respond I was just so I was like (laughs) I'm not even gonna lie not even on like a personality level I was just like the minister of menstruation you know has such a busy schedule I don't think she'll be able to fit me in we're just all trying to because the the more widespread this is the more people know about this podcast the better because they're liberating conversations on here there are really some people that have something really important to say which is just going to make someone else's life a lot easier to live so yeah that's something that i really do pride myself in Mm. and that i'm very thankful to god for for just laying that thing in my heart the same way that 11 year long journey which is just continuing for you has bettered so many people's lived experiences so please do go and get flow right the book about menstruation um not just to support local authors but because like flip guys like it's a really good manual 
on navigating periods regardless of whether you're a menstruator or not and just to help you know future menstruators and people that are just trying to educate themselves and be clued up on a process that directly or indirectly affects them without further ado candace Mm. thank you thank you thank you (laughs) can't thank you enough thank you thank you for having me i really do appreciate it thank you so much right so take care stay blessed and continue uh, keeping the conversation going do go on to instagram twitter and spam the minister of menstruation because she does have you know a lot of very informative threads she has a lot of really good interviews like i mentioned the ted talk that she did very informative and you can really get the gist of it because it's in she says it in a way that you will understand in a way that you don't feel like an outsider in a way that you will be able to feel included and learn as much as you possibly can you know her bbc interview as well you know debunking some of the myths that are surrounding menstruation is a really good listen as well so what i'm basically trying to say is get to her page and listen to the conversations that she's having with other people on the podcast that she's having as well and yeah come back to the sakina speaks podcast because these are the types of conversations that you should expect to have um more and more as we grow as you keep the conversation going as you know these conversations make that change that we're really looking forward to so stay blessed take care sakina has spoken